Uh, not sure if you guys saw this today, uh, but there was a video going around uh, and it kind of went viral uh, of a guy here at Tech, like on one of those bird scooters, just like going right through the flood. Did y'all see that? It was awesome. Like I, I was watching it over and, and over again because man, some people are just like that. Like when a storm hits, when there's a flood, they just jump on a bird scooter and just go straight through it. Like they don't, they don't even care like what's going on. I mean, that dude was like fording a river, like in a, on a bird scooter. Like it was really impressive. And, and some people are, are just like that. And some people are like that when it comes like to life's storms, like when trouble comes, when disaster strikes, when, when you face the trials and, and the fires of life, like, like some people are, are kind of like that, like their faith inflates and they run towards God and they pursue God even harder. And then some people, when disaster strikes, when trouble comes, when, when the fire comes, when the storms of life hit, like their faith deflates and they turn away from God. And, and maybe you, you've seen both in your life and I'm sure you've seen both in, in, in the people around you. Like when disaster strikes, some people's faith inflates, other people's faith, uh, or faith deflates. And, and the same thing has happened in, in my life. Like there's been times in my life when, when disaster strikes, when the storm hits, my faith inflates and, and I believe God and I trust God and I pursue God even harder. And then for sometimes, sometimes it's happened in my life and maybe it's been true for you. When disaster strikes, when trouble comes, like your faith deflates and you run from God and because of what you're going through, you're not sure you can trust God. You begin to question if he even exists and, and you're wondering like, what, what's, what's going on? And so I don't know about you, but I mean, I'd like to know the difference. Like what's the difference in people's faith that, that inflate when disaster strikes versus those that, that deflates and, and runs from God? Because I'm sure if you're like me, you would say, man, I, I want a faith, like a defiant faith in God that regardless of my circumstances and regardless of what happens to me, like, like stands the, the test of time. I don't know about you, but that's, that's, what, that's what I want. And, and I want that for you. And so in this series, we're going to be looking at several stories in the Bible and just what they have to say and breaking them down. And what does it look like to have a faith that inflates in the face of trouble and trial, the storm, the fire? What does that look like? How can we have that kind of faith? Because so many people, listen, you may be here, you, you may not, but you're going to face it in life. You're going to have friends that are going to face some serious troubles and disasters in this life. If you're not there now, you, you, you will be at some point. And so many people will walk away and will turn away from God and will no longer trust God, will no longer pursue God because of the disaster that hits the storm that comes. And so we want to talk about what that looks like, why that, that happens, and, and how we can maybe even prevent that from happening by looking at several stories in the Bible where we see people's faith just inflate when they face the problem, when they face the trial, when they face the storm, the, the, the fire. And if, you're, if you've got a mom or a grandmother like my mom, then uh, you maybe have heard them say something like this. Well, well, I just rebuke that trouble in Jesus' name. And I love that. Uh, I, I love that faith. It just like, I, I mean, it doesn't matter what comes. Like, I'm just going to rebuke that. Like, there's no, I, there's no trouble coming. I'm just going to say in Jesus' name, there's no trouble coming in my life. The problem with that, though, is, is Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble. You will have many 
troubles. Jesus said it. He told us that. And, and so let, let's just kind of dispel the, the idea that like if you become a follower of Jesus, like everything gets easier and, and everything's like roses and, and, and rainbows and unicorns like from now on and everything's going to like everything's going to be okay because that's just not true. Jesus, our, our savior told us like he gave us a heads up, like, like spoiler alert, you're going to have troubles, many troubles in this world, in this life. He told us that. And so how can we have a faith that inflates in the face of trouble? So if you got a Bible, go to Daniel chapter three, Daniel chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the verses for you here on the screen here in just a second. You can also go to RaiderChurch.com and select sermon notes. You can follow along with us. The verses will be there. And I'm just going to warn you, like we've got a big story we're about to read. We're going to read all the way through it. And then we're going to come and, and just back and, and break it all down. So we're going to be in Daniel three, RaiderChurch.com, select message note. You can follow along with us. The points and everything will be there for you as well. So let's go. Let's look at this first story here in Daniel chapter three, and then we'll come back and break it down and look at how to have a, a defiant faith in the fire. So let's go. Daniel three, starting in verse 14, it says this, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up. So let's just stop right here for a second. So, so King Nebuchadnezzar has come in. Uh, they, they've taken over. They've invaded um, Israel. They've, they've put the Israelites into captivity. And so now they're, they're, he's set up this, this, this statue where they're forcing uh, all of their people and all those in captivity to bow down and to worship this statue, to worship this idol. And there's these three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were the names they were given. They had Jewish names, but these are the names they are given. And, and so they're being told to bow down and, and to worship this statue. And they're saying, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing that. We worship and serve God. And so Nebuchadnezzar's upset. And so he's saying, you refuse to, to, to serve my gods or to worship the golden statue I've said. I will give you one more chance to bow down and to worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, watch this. You will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But watch this. And here's where the series comes from. But even if he doesn't, like, but even if not, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound 
walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced with trouble, fire, literal fire. Faced with worshiping God or bowing down and and giving up their lives, literally forfeiting, sacrificing their lives or bowing down and worshiping this golden image. So they're they're stuck here. They've got a decision. They've got a moment. They're, They're faced with trouble. They're faced with fire. And so when we face moments like this, our faith can inflate. We can run to God. We can pursue God even harder. Or sometimes our faith will deflate. And we'll give in. We'll turn from God. So what's the difference? Like what's going on here? Well, let's just break this down. What does it look like to have a defiant faith in the fire? Number one, they were already walking with God. If you back up a couple chapters to Daniel chapter one, you'll see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were committed Jews. Like they were devoted Jews. We learn in Daniel chapter one, they're faced with this, uh, they're put in this kind of predicament where they can either start eating like all the other people do, like all the Gentiles were eating, or they could stick to their Jewish dietary customs and laws and continue to honor God in that way. And when they were faced with this predicament in Daniel one, they chose to continue following their Jewish dietary customs and laws out of their reverence and and honor for God. So as a committed Jew, here's what we know about them. If they were following the dietary laws, here's what we know about. They were also probably praying three times a day. They were also very familiar with the Torah, which would have been the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, oftentimes having most of it memorized. Like they would have been very familiar and knowledgeable of who God was and and, and, and God and his word. They they would have been very knowledgeable of that. So, So these guys were committed Jews. They were already walking with God. Before the fire ever came, they were, they had this secure, strong foundation in who they were and who God was. They had already been walking with God for years. They, They grew up in this. So they were walking with God. And listen, the same thing is, is true for you and me. Like if we're going to stand the test of the fire, like if we're going to have a faith that inflates, then we need to start walking with God now. And some of you are like, man, I'm in the middle of the fire. Listen, whether you are or you aren't, we need to start walking with God and pursuing God now so that when the fire comes, if if it's not like, if you're not in the midst of it right now, so that when it comes, you're ready. You've got a solid foundation so you can stand the test of the, the storm. You need to grow and to build that foundation as you begin to walk with God and, and follow God. So you need to do that now. Like there needs to be a sense of urgency that right now, while I'm in college, I'm going to start following God and, and, and securing my foundation in him, getting to know God so that I can grow and develop that relationship. So like Paul says in Ephesians four, that as you mature in Christ, when the wind begins to blow, you won't be rocked back and forth. You'll have a solid foundation. They were already walking with God. 
If you're going to have a faith that inflates when the fire comes, if you're going to have that kind of defiant faith that, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have, you need to start walking with God right now. Secondly, watch this. They were pursuing God together. Did you notice in verse 17? It says that, that when they say, hey, when they're being threatened with being thrown in the fire, they say, listen, even if we are thrown into the fire, and then they say in verse 18, we will never serve and worship your God. Did you notice that how often they said we? Like it wasn't me or I, it was we. Like we, if we are thrown into the fire, we will never serve and worship your God. So they were doing this together. Like they were in this together with other people. There was three of them. It wasn't just one. They were pursuing God together with other people. Like they had this circle they were in it together. And listen, the same thing is true for you and I. If we're going to have a, a faith that inflates in the fire, then we need people that will go through the fire with us. We need to follow God and pursue God together with other followers of Jesus. You need a we, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. You need a we. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about like good friends. I'm talking about people that you follow Jesus with, like that you're walking and pursuing Jesus with, like you're doing it together, like you're committed to spiritual growth and to following Jesus together. You've got a, a circle that you're following Jesus with, that you're doing the Christian life with. You know, in Acts 2, it talked about the early church and it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. They were doing it together. They were devoted to spiritual growth together. They were following Jesus together. They had a we. We all need that we that can circle around us so that when I'm down, we circles around me and lifts me up so that when I'm sad or angry or hurt, we circles around me and lifts me up and builds me up and points me to Jesus so that when I'm anxious, we will circle around me and bring healing and peace and comfort into my life. We all need a we that will circle around me. And so at Raider Church, we have Raider groups where people meet each week on another night of the week and they read the Bible together and they're praying together and they're doing life together and they have fun together, but, it, but it's a we. And if you don't have that, you, you need to find that. You need a we that you can follow Jesus together with other people so that you're in it together. So that when the fire comes, when the storm comes, you've got some people to walk through the fire together with. You need a we. Third, they knew of God's power. They knew of God's power. They told King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, hey, listen, our God is able to save us. And the reason they knew that, they weren't just saying that. That wasn't just some like cute thing to say back to Nebuchadnezzar. No, they knew that God was able to save them because as committed Jews, they had been brought up in families that had told them all the stories of how God had rescued their people from slavery out of the hand of the Egyptians. They knew all the stories. They knew that God sent all those plagues upon the Egyptians to rescue them out of slavery. They knew the stories of how when they faced the, the, the Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming at them, that God parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land. And when they got through and the Egyptians were coming after them, they, they knew, they knew the stories of how the waters came back down and that God rescued them and saved them. They knew the stories of their people being led by God 
God physically with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud during the day. And wherever that pillar went, the Israelites followed it. They knew these stories, guys. I mean, they, they knew about the power of their God. It wasn't some cute idea. They knew about it. Their family members, their descendants had told them, their parents and their grandparents and their great grandparents had been telling them of all the great things that God had did and the ways that God had saved them and miraculously provided for them like by providing manna from heaven and, and water out of a rock. They, they, they knew the stories of Israel coming up to the Jordan River and the priests stepping into the river and the waters parting. They knew that their God was able to save them. It wasn't a matter of whether God could or not, or whether he had the ability or the power to rescue them from the fire. That, that wasn't the question. They knew God was able. They believed in the power of God to miraculously rescue them. And so because they knew of God's power, they knew that God could. It wasn't a question of whether or not God could. It was a question of whether or not God would. And they left the answer in the hands of God. And we see in their response to Nebuchadnezzar that they are good with whatever God decides to do. Whether he rescues them from the fire or rescues them in some other way or doesn't. Or even if not, they said, even if not, but if not... God is still good. He's still good. Man, that kind of faith, to know that God is able, that he can. But whatever God decides, I still trust him. I'm still following him. I'm still serving him. I'm still worshiping him alone. They believed God was able and they trusted that whatever God decided was good. And that if he didn't rescue them from the fire, then he must have had a good reason not to. We believe God can save us. We believe he's able to de deliver me, to take me out of the storm, to take us out of the fire, to save us from there. Oh, he can do it. But if not, we're still following him. We're still serving him. We're still worshiping him. They knew of God's power and they trusted God with the answer. Regardless of what it meant for them, which leads us to the next thing, they had a God-centered theology. Now, theology is just a big word that, that basically means what we believe about God and, and who he is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had a God-centered theology that said, hey, listen, God can save us. He can rescue us. We know he can, but if he doesn't, then that's fine. It's about God and his will and his purposes. God does not exist for me. We exist for God and his pleasure and his purposes. So whatever God wants to do, whatever God decides, because it's not about me, it's about him. That's okay with us. They had a God-centered theology, not a me-centered theology. God was the center of the universe. What he wanted, what he would decide was ultimately what was best. It wasn't about me. Colossians chapter one says, Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, listen, 
You were created by God and for God. You were created by God and for God. And the sooner that we figure that out and we learn that we exist for God and not the other way around, the sooner that you're going to experience the joy that God has for you. When you have a God-centered theology, not a me-centered theology. Guys, we are growing up in a generation with social media and I'm in the middle of it too, like I'm in the thick of it too, but where we are the center of our own universe where it's all about our fame and glory, where it's all about the attention that I can get, the fame that I can achieve, the people that know my name. And it's no wonder our faith is so weak because it's all about us. Rick Warren wrote in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, the very first line of the entire book says, it's not about you. It's not about you. And the reason Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a faith that inflated in the face of the fire, the reason they could say, but even if not, even if God doesn't rescue us, it's okay, because it's all about God. It's whatever he wants to do. It's whatever brings him pleasure and glory. Whatever God decides, it's about him. I exist for him, not the other way around. That's how you have a defiant faith. As you know, it's not about me. I exist for God. I was created by God and for God. And then last, they were looking forward to a future rescue. They were looking forward to a future rescue. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, hey, listen, our God can save us. He's able to rescue us. And he will rescue us. A lot of times when you read in the Old Testament, like especially in the prophets, and this book, Daniel, is one of the books, it's one of the prophetic books, there's often this threefold or three-layered meaning to so many things that you'll read. And so, so watch this. Here's what, here's what I mean. When, Dan, or when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say here in Daniel 3, like we, our God will rescue us, like he will save us, not only are they referring to then and now, like that God can save us, he can rescue us like right now, but there's also a meaning like when it comes to the era or the time of Christ, like God will rescue us through his death on the cross and through his resurrection and triumph over death and sin. And then ultimately one day when Jesus returns and we're saved, we're rescued at that point too. So, so there's always kind of this threefold layer to so many things that you'll read in the, in the Old Testament, specifically in the prophets. And so when they say our God will rescue us, there is so much there. They're saying not only will he rescue us and can he rescue us from the fire? But he's ultimately going to rescue us through Jesus when the Messiah comes and dies in our place and takes upon our sin upon himself so that we wouldn't have to pay the fine for our sin. And not only that, he's going to rescue us because one day, ultimately, even though we die, just like Jesus said, if you believe in me, the resurrection and the life, you will live, you will conquer death. And as committed Jews with a God-centered theology who had been pursuing God and doing it together, they were confident. They were looking forward to a future 
rescue. Not just the rescue in the here and now. They were looking forward to a future rescue. And because they were confident of the future rescue, the deliverance from the eternal fire, it gave them the confidence to know that God can rescue them and he'll be with them in this present fire. They were looking forward to a better home. They weren't wrapped up in the one they had. When you read in Hebrews 11 and it talks about all these heroes of the faith like Abraham and, and, and people like Noah and Joseph and, and all these kinds of, I mean, when, when, when in Hebrews 11, when it talks about all these, these heroes of the faith that we read about and have all these stories about, it, it says about these people that they didn't consider this world their home. They viewed themselves as aliens and strangers here on this earth. And it said they were looking forward to a better country, to a better home. They were considered themselves citizens of heaven, not citizens of this world. And so because they were looking forward to a better country, they weren't so wrapped up in this world. Because they were looking forward to eternal life, they didn't have such a tight grip on this life. Because they were taking hold of the world that was to come, the home that was to come, this world didn't have such a tight grip on them. You could also say it like this. Oh no, we're skipping that. Go to the next thing. The more your eyes are on the promised prize, the more you can withstand your present problems. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their eyes on the promised prize. They were looking forward to a future rescue. And so they were able to withstand their present problems. And I know you might be thinking, but listen, don't, aren't, like, don't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like, when we read this story, God rescues them from the fire. Like he does save them from the fire. Like they go and they're unharmed. That, that's not me. I've, I, I've gone through the fire. I'm in the fire. I'm, I'm being burned. Like it's, it's hurting. It, it's painful. And we're reading a story about how these guys like were delivered from the fire. And yes, you, you would be accurate. That would be true. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like ultimately they die. Like, not sure you realize this, but they're not still alive today. Like, they died, okay? They're, they're, they're no longer here. This is thousands and thousands of years ago. Like, they no longer are alive. So, but not only that, we read these stories in the Bible, and we think whether it's like Lazarus, like Jesus, he, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Like, he's able to do that. Like, why is he not doing that for me? Well, sure, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But again, Lazarus died again. Like, he doesn't, he's not alive today. Paul was in prison and miraculously was released from prison. But then he was shipwrecked. And then God rescued him from, from that. And then he's... He, he's, he's bitten by a snake and everyone thinks he's going to die, but, but God saves him from that. 
And so it's like, well, what's up with that? Like, Paul just gets to be rescued over and over and over again. That's not, that's not really fair. Well, but Paul ends up dying as a martyr, tradition saying his head was chopped off because he was a follower of Jesus. John the Baptist gave his life as a martyr. David, King David, the man after God's own heart, lost a child. Jesus ultimately dies, the Son of God. He dies. And then he's risen again, conquering sin, conquering death. And so here's what you've got to understand because of what Jesus has done for us. We've got to realize that God is not interested in keeping you alive here on this earth. No, no, no. Because of what Jesus has done for us, conquering our sin and conquering death, God has provided a new eternal life on a new eternal or new earth. God's not trying to keep us alive like here on this earth. Sin has cursed and scarred everything like us in all of creation. And so Jesus said, you're going to have trouble here on this world, here in this life, because sin has cursed and scarred everything. So God's not trying to keep us alive like here on this earth. No, no, no. He's provided a way through Jesus conquering sin and conquering death to give us a new and eternal life on a new earth one day. So in case you're like, why isn't God rescuing me from this fire or this trial? You can know that because God has rescued you from the eternal fire, he's going to be with you in this present fire. Like the promise isn't to keep you from the fire. That hasn't ever been promised to us in the scripture. The, the promise is that he would be with you in the fire and through the fire. And I want you to know tonight, God has rescued you from the fire. And you're like, no, no, dude, bro, I'm going through it right now. Like I'm in the midst of the fire. I'm in the midst of the trouble, the storm, like I'm in the middle of it. And I want you to know I get it, but God has ultimately rescued you from the fire. You know, as, as hot and as blazing hot as that fire that Nebuchadnezzar stoked and fanned into flame, that killed his own soldiers that, that were throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, like that fire was so hot, but it doesn't hold a candle to the fire, the eternal fire that we're told exists for those who are not right with God. You know, in the story that we just read, a lot of scholars believe that the fourth person that they see in the fire was actually Jesus. Some say it was an angel. Some, some say it was Jesus, like almost applauding these guys for their faith and joining them and coming and joining them in the fire. But whether it, it was Jesus 
really, or, or it, it was an angel. What we learn from the story is that ultimately, Jesus would take on the fire of hell for you in your place so that you wouldn't have to experience it. You see, if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, the Bible says we're all sinners. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short of God's standard to have a relationship with him and to go to heaven when we die. We've all fallen short of that standard. And the punishment, the, the penalty for that sin, a fine to be paid is eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that this hell is like an eternal fire that never goes out. It's an eternal punishment for those who've never given their life to Jesus. But the great news is that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus into the fire for you. And through his death on the cross, he took on the fire of hell for you so that if you would trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you would give your life to Jesus. The Bible says that your fine for your sin is paid for. In other words, Jesus stepped into the fire for you so that you wouldn't have to. Jesus took on the fire of hell, the wrath of God for our sin. He took it on for us so that we wouldn't have to experience it. So here's what I, I want you to see and what I want you to know tonight is that God has ultimately rescued you from the fire. And so now you can be confident that God will be with you in this fire. He's rescued you from the eternal fire. And so now you can know he's going to be with you in the temporary fire. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. As if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Peter said, don't be surprised. Jesus says, there's going to be trouble in this life. There's going to be trouble in this world. Don't, and then Peter said, don't be surprised when you go through fiery trials. Don't be surprised when you're faced with the fire that comes in this life so often. Don't be surprised. He said, you can have hope because there's a glory that is to come. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were looking forward to, the glory that was to come. And Peter says, don't be surprised with the fire trial. No, no, no. But you can look for it. You can have hope in the midst of the trial. What we're not saying tonight is that we're not going to mourn. We're not going to suffer. We're not going to struggle. We're not going to be anxious. We're not going to be stressed. That's not what we're saying. No, what we are saying is that in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the sadness, the mourning, the stress, the, that we can have hope that we can mourn with hope, that we can be sad, but with hope, we can be anxious, but with hope because there's a glory that is to come. And so what I think Peter is saying here is this, is that if you're not seeing the glory yet, then God's not done yet. If you're not seeing the glory yet, then God's not done. And it may be that you see God's glory and his rescue and his deliverance, like here in this life, in this world, but it might be, and ultimately it will be one day, 
that you will see his glory in the life that's to come. That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all the heroes of the faith that we look to, they were looking forward to the glory that was to come. And so here's what we just want to challenge you with tonight. And hopefully in this series and through Christ in you and God's power just in you tonight would be able, that this would be able to become your prayer and something that you could say. It's that God, you can save me from this fire, but if not, I will still worship and serve you. God, you can save me from this fire. You can save me from the fires and the storms that are to come. But if not, I still worship you and I'm still going to serve you. I'm not running away from you, God. I'll still worship you. I'll still serve you. We had a guy named Harley who gave his life to Christ about a year ago this time. And wasn't long after he gave his life to Christ, the storms came, the fire came. And I want you to see what God did in his life as a result of the fire that he went through. So check this out. My whole life up to this time last year, I never really believed in God. I believed in science, and that's how I explained the world. I've been dating my first real love for about a year and a half. We were great together. We had so much fun, but we had problems. The biggest was that our relationship wasn't built on the strongest foundation, God. In August of that year, she was moving to Dallas to start her life as I was moving back up to Lubbock for my junior year. Her big thing was that she wanted a godly man to marry, and I was not a godly man and never called myself one. When she moved up to Dallas, she realized I wasn't what she wanted. Initially, she said that she wanted space, but that turned into us breaking up. and sent my world into a spiral. This was the woman I talked about spending the future with. It was all ripped away. So I said to myself, you know what? She wants a godly man. I'm going to read the Bible. That'll show her. And this is where I started, but for the wrong reasons. I started reading relationship plans on the Bible app, and then I started a chronological reading of the entire Bible. As I read more and more, I became more and more interested. I started watching some churches online, and I started learning and studying like you would a book in college. As I was reading, it connected with me. It was like it was already a part of me, and I, I didn't even know. Not long after that, I found myself at one of my lowest points. The same week, I went to Raider Church, and they were starting a new series called Rock Bottom. What a more perfect place to start. I was at Rock Bottom. That night, at the end of the message, they asked people who were at Rock Bottom to stand up, which I did. Then everyone else stood and placed their hands on us and prayed. I felt so much relief that night, like everything bad in my life had been pulled out and the Holy Spirit moved in. That was the night I gave my life to Jesus. My dad was diagnosed with congestive heart failure a few years prior to that semester. A livable condition if you do all the right things. The week before Thanksgiving, I received a call that my dad was back in the hospital and it appeared a, a part of his past had gotten a hold of him once again, but this time for a worse turn. He eventually got out and finals week I received another call telling me that my dad was back in the hospital and this time it didn't look like he was going to make it out. My dad wasn't a believer, 
so I was overwhelmed with the urgency to be by his side. I talked to my professors and got a flight home as soon as I could. December 11th, 2017, I did the hardest thing I ever had to do. I had told my dad that it was okay to go. Early the next morning, he passed away. The entire month prior, I was learning and planning on talking to my father about what I had learned through reading the Bible in hopes of him accepting Jesus into his life. And I was worried I may not get that chance. Before he passed, the chaplain from the hospital came in and told me that he and my dad had been talking. The last time he saw him, he had prayed for him, and he said my father had felt forgiven for everything he's done in his life. I was shocked because this wasn't my dad at all, and yet at the end of his life he had an encounter with Jesus. There was a reason I didn't get that chance to share with him, whatever it was. Then that day after he passed, someone close to me had told me that he had a dream of him standing in front of them in a completely white suit, and all he said was, everything's going to be okay. And I believed it. We had a series at Raider Church called DM. I felt like I had received a message from God during it, and it was the same word three times. Go, go, go. I didn't understand what he meant at the time, but I was challenged and driven over the next few weeks to sign up for our mission training group called Phase One. And now here I am a year later, I finished reading through the entire Bible, I'm still leading a Raider group, and soon I'll be leading an explorer group for our missions department. And I feel that one day I may be called to plant a church. There are people that know the Bible more than me. There are people that can speak better than me. There are people that can pray better than me. There are people that can share their faith better than me. All I strive to be is the best that I can be, and to be who I feel God has called me to be. As I lost my father, I didn't lose my faith. And as my entire world shook, my hope remained in Jesus. Can you give Harley a hand? You know, I'll be honest with you. Uh, when Harley gave his life to Christ and within a couple of months, knowing that he had, was going to lose his dad and he did lose his dad, I, I really wondered like, okay, what's gonna happen? I was so excited about what God was doing in Harley's life. I knew he was gonna be doing a missions class and that God was doing so much in his life. And, but I wondered, I wondered if, if his faith was gonna inflate, he was gonna to continue to pursue God or if as a new believer, it would deflate and he would turn away. But God did something in, in Harley's life and he's continuing to do something in Harley's life as, as Harley is following Jesus and, and developing and has developed that, that foundation, that solid foundation. And he's been doing it with other people. Like he's got a we that is circled around me and he's been doing that. He's been following Jesus together with other people, like learning more and more about who God is and, and believing God for huge things, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And here's what I want you to know tonight is that when you go through the fire like Harley did, or like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, people are watching. And watch what happens when you have a faith that will inflate and pursue God in the face of the fire. Like watch what happens to people who are watching you. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar said, 
as a result of all of this, like he watched all of this happen and he saw this angel, this son of God in the fire with it. There was three, but, but now there's four and they're unharmed and, and they weren't burned and, and they came out of the fire. And so it says, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any other God except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against their God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Nebuchadnezzar, watching all of this happen, watching all of this unfold, becomes a worshiper of God. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The audience that was watching their lives were completely turned, completely flipped. And Nebuchadnezzar is now saying, there's no other God who can rescue like their God. I want you to know tonight when you go through the fire and if you're in the middle of the fire right now, you have an audience and you are preaching a message louder than I could ever do. People are watching. They're watching how you're gonna respond. They're watching to see if this is really real for you. Are you really gonna pursue God? Is, do you really think this is real? Or when it's not going well for you, are you gonna turn away? You've got an audience watching. And so we want it to be our prayer. Then in the face of the fire, we'll be able to say, just like they did, God, I believe you can rescue me from this fire. But even if you don't, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to worship you anyways. You know, last night, in the middle of the night, there was a storm and there was a lot of lightning and it was really loud. And all of a sudden I heard coming down the hallway, you know, tap on my shoulder. Yeah, yeah, come on, get that. It's my five-year-old daughter, Nixon. Storm was coming, she was scared. So she came and got in bed. We were laying there and some lightning flashed outside my window and it was, you know, the thunder was really loud. And I always get lightning and thunder confused. I don't know about you, but my wife's always like, lightning doesn't make noise, it's thunder. Okay, so it was the thunder. So it was the thunder. So the lightning flashed right? And the thunder made the noise. I think that's the way it goes. So my daughter sees this and hears this. It's real loud. She says, dad, can you put your arm around me? So I pulled her in close. I put my arm around her and she was laying right on my arm. And so, you know, that only can last for a few minutes before it starts hurting. And so I like, you know, I kind of pulled my arm out and she's like, dad, what are you doing? I'm scared. Like the, the, there's storms that like, put your arm around me. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So I put my arm, you know, back around her. I didn't sleep almost at all last night because the stupid lightning and thunder wouldn't go away. And she was scared and she wanted her dad. And I want to challenge you tonight as we begin to worship, our team's going to come and lead us. That in the middle of the storm, I want to challenge you tonight. Run to your dad, not away from him. Run 
to your dad who will be with you in the storm. Let's stand. Our team's gonna lead us in in worship. And as you stand, I just wanna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And, And if you're here tonight and you're in the middle of a storm, you're in the middle of the fire, that's you and you just say, hey, I, I need God to do something in my life tonight. Like, I need to, my faith to be strengthened. I need my faith to inflate right now. Like, I can't do that on my own. Like, I'm, I'm weak and, and I'm struggling and I'm in the middle of the storm and, and I need that kind of faith that you're talking about. I don't have it right now, but, but I, I, I need it and, and I want it. And if that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I need, I need God to just come and build my faith, strengthen my faith tonight because I'm struggling right now. I'm in the midst of the fire. I'm in the midst of the storm. God, you see every hand that's raised right now. And God, I just pray that right now in Jesus name, you would come and strengthen their faith. You would give them a defiant faith in the midst of the fire. God, you would allow them to have a we that will circle around me, that will build them up, that will strengthen them, that will encourage them, that will pray for them. God, you will help them to have the faith to say, God, you are able, you can rescue me from the fire, but even if you don't, I'm still gonna worship, I'm still gonna serve you. So God, right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you just come and strengthen people's faith and pour out your spirit, God, pour out faith. God, we thank you that you are our refuge in times of trouble, that you're not our refuge from or in from trouble, but you're our refuge in trouble. And so God, I pray that they would find you as a refuge tonight in their time of trouble. As we begin to sing, would you just lift up your eyes? If you see hands up, would you just go and put a hand on their shoulder and just begin to pray for them? If that's you, you're struggling right now, keep your hand up. And if you see hands around you, would you just move to them, lay a hand on their shoulder and just begin to pray for them, that God would strengthen them, even as we worship right now, that God would strengthen them and build them up. Let's have some we's circle around me and let's pray for each other that we'll be strong and that our faith will inflate right now in the midst of the fire. So if you see a hand up, let's move to them, let's pray for them and let's worship God tonight.